It's weird. I don't know how to prepare for Matt because it's not like I have to research Matt. Who is he? Someone I've known since I was 12 years old. I don't need to research him in depth. Right. But I feel like yeah. old habits die hard, Matt. Maybe you should. Yeah. Wait a minute. Maybe I should. What might I discover? No, 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 no. There's no reason <laughs> to look into me. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. What you know is what you get. <laughs> uh, yeah. What did I think of Matt? When I first met Matt, I did not like him. Yeah. I can say that much. We sat next to each other in biology class and hated each other. Yes. Yes. Well, you would lecture me about music. You would make me feel insecure. <laughs> and I was already feeling insecure about music. You got to understand from my perspective, I was sitting next to this fucking neophyte who didn't know shit about music at all. Uh, what grade is this in? Ninth grade. Ninth grade. And Ethan knew nothing about music. Absolutely nothing. He still doesn't know anything about music. Well, that's true. <laughs> this wasn't ninth grade. Wasn't it? This wasn't ninth grade. I think this was a little bit earlier. Oh, was it? <laughs> My lovely wife is shocked at the reveal that I didn't like you upon meeting you. I thought this was common knowledge. <laughs> Not everyone alive knew this. Why didn't you like Matt? I didn't like Matt because he was a know-it-all and he was making me feel insecure. He would ask me about the Deftones and I didn't know what the Deftones were. And then he would get mad at me. So here's the thing about Bob Dylan, Ethan. <laughs> you got to understand, White Pony had just come out, guys. White <laughs> Pony. And Ethan had no idea what that was. It's not like your music tastes were so evolved. I remember you showing up to to middle school in the crappy punk rock t-shirt after the Blink-182 concert. I went to a Blink-182 concert in middle school. I'm imagining Matt rolling a cigarette in his hand with sunglasses on. You know, Ethan, here's the thing, man. You got to understand, these guys are taking new metal to a whole new level. No, I think we bonded over being terrible French students. I think that's the foundation of it all. Ethan and I are both horrible at languages, yeah. learning languages, yeah. and our French teacher mm -hmm. thought we were the dumbest people alive. Well, we were defi by definition, like just definitionally the dumbest people alive without saying anything <laughs> because we lived in San Diego, California, and we decided for our language requirement <laughs> to take French. French. I literally yeah. could see Mexico from my roof, like Sarah Palin <laughs> looking at Russia. <laughs> and I decided to take French. Some je ne sais quoi that draws me to the language of the Francais. Were we racist? I mean, what was Yes, we're romantic. What was the basis of that? No, we were contrarians, Ethan. We were dumb yeah. contrarians. Like, well, everyone's learning <laughs> Spanish, so I've, yeah. the future for us lies in French. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we would have learned any Spanish. I took Spanish in college and I did terrible at it too. I don't know why. Unless I'm like in a play, I can't learn the language. I think if I'm like immersed in it. Well, it's just like when you lived in South Africa, you picked up South African English, yeah, you know? Just perfectly. Cape Town. When I was in Cape Town, Cape Town, I picked up the language. So that's Australian. It's too long. It's bad. It's getting the, you, you do Cape a good Town. Australian. It becomes Australian oh, at a certain point. It all becomes Australian. You see it in point, eh? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the influence down under we should probably start the podcast you know well, the podcast you've got to get back to not work you know you've <laughs> yeah, got to i gotta get back to this burn <laughs> hey it's not it's not a burn no dude i'm refusing he's prevented from doing it i'm refusing to work he's a striking writer that's right even if he wanted to he couldn't bill maher's been calling him off the hook he can't do it he's not picking up he wants me to come in he needs some new rules but uh, 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 you're gonna have to make do with the old ones, my friend. <laughs> do it again, do it again. Welcome to the House of Strauss. Yeah, go for it. 
stars hang with stars, winners hang with winners. Si un jour tu m'emmènes à la plage, j'aimerais t'en plonger dans les fagues. Je te promets que je resterai sage, mais tu ne comprends pas que je rêve de ça. Welcome. To the House of Strauss, we are joined by comedy writer Matt Kleinman, also a tech critic. And this is where our worlds converge. In this particular episode, there is a little bit of symmetry, a little bit of synergy. But first, Matt, how do you feel being complicit in enabling me to attend the free press debate over whether the sexual revolution has failed? moderated by Barry Weiss, that you housed me, allowing me to go down to L.A. and attend this event. How do you feel about that? Does it weigh on your conscience? Yeah, to enable someone to plunge deeper and deeper into the (laughs) (laughs) alt-right. What is it? It was like dark. What was it? Like the dark net? The dark intellectual intellectual dark dark web. web. Yeah, that's like a term nobody uses anymore, right? That's like way over. Only ironically. Only ironically. Yeah, plunging, plunging deep into the intellectual dark, I guess it's not, the dark stockings of the feminist. Mm. Like, <laughs> this alt-right moderated by Barry Weiss, who yeah. then left to take care of her her daughter that she has with her wife. You know, it's this this reactionary stuff out here. Yeah, uh, I, well, I was, I was really funny trying to explain to my wife what event you were going to. And I showed her the poster of like debating the efficacy of the sexual revolution. And my wife like stared at it as if like she needed glasses. Like she like couldn't mm. understand what she was seeing. She was like, what? Yeah. They're doing what? Why? What are you doing? Why is, what are you talking about? It was great talking with Julie about it. It was like watching somebody try to see a magic eye and not be able to do it. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was exactly that. Yeah, she like didn't. This is my my wife who is fully sexually liberated, a, a working woman herself, Whoa. a working Whoa mother herself, <laughs> fully sexually liberated. <laughs> and let me tell you, it's good it for men failed, too. It hasn't <laughs> failed me. <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> well. I thought it was a very, it, it was a fun event and it had great energy. I hope they do more. Um, I guess the one note is the question was a little bit too vague because even if somebody thinks that the revolution, by the way, this is the point everybody is making about it, yeah, but even if they would say that the revolution has failed, they would also say it succeeded or as Anakachian was arguing that it failed because it succeeded because you can think it you know, ultimately achieved what it wanted to do, but not like the result. And that's why, you know, you were not there. So just given a brief summary, the debaters all came to a consensus uh, of of sorts and people were almost switching sides Mm -hmm. uh, between uh, Louise Perry and uh, Sarah Hader and Anakachi and, and Grimes. And, uh, it, you know, I almost felt like Jordan Peterson was going to pop out and point out, this is the feminine agreeability that, you know. <laughs> this is the problem here. <laughs> Men disagree. <laughs> Women. What if, it would be so great if it was all a setup for some book promo that, that he would do on the topic and buy my book, Men and Women. Oh, that'd be a good book title. Ooh, Men that'd be a really women. good book. Men and women. That'd be a good book. I don't book think title people right talk there. I don't think people talk enough about the differences between the two. That I think it's something that people need to talk about more. 
I can't. I think you're being ironic, but the problem is, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the thing is, Ethan, women be like this, but men, yeah. So this is way, crazy. We, men be like this, but we only had 1980s comedians framing that conversation for us. Yeah, um, nobody else, else talks about it anymore. We need more people to join in and uh, <laughs> give a sense of the different wiring, so we can mm. be more complimentary going forward. Um, yeah, I, but, but I like it. I like the juice. I like an event. I think LA is a good theater, uh, it's a good theater town. Um, it was strange for me to be out of my house, Matt. Mm. Um, I'm like Howard Stern, only not afraid of COVID, just lazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just in my bunker. LA's fun, right? We had a nice time. We got some noodles. We got some short staining, uh, oil rich Sichuan yeah. noodles. Yeah, yeah, slathering me in uh, chili oil before I before I meet people. But yeah. just very strange event. There aren't many like it, Matt. Where you will have people with just across the political spectrum. Where I run into the canceled Richard Hanania, immediately followed by Anna Kasparian of the Young Turks, and then just everybody in between. And of course. Uh, big was, uh, you know, celebrated guest on this podcast, just, you know, rotating, making the rounds. Uh, you're saying like everybody big, loved was everybody, want, everybody, everybody wanted a piece of was. I do, he's, he's got a remarkable talent. He can talk about the most controversial things and everybody just loves him. I mm. do not have that talent, Matt. That, that oh, I, I kept happen. forgetting to ask you, what was the gender makeup of the audience? It was pretty split. Um, really? I think Red Scare has a lot of female fans and a lot of gay male fans. And I think mm. they've talked about the gay male fans, but I, uh, I, I discovered that it wasn't, I, when I looked out at the audience, I really couldn't detect a, a, a tilt either way. And mm. I think, you know, that's true because the LA times had a very snarky, uh, dismissive takedown. Um, but I think if it was very male, that would have been mentioned. Right that center. was that was not the case. If it looked like uh, a Deftones show, circa two thousand, <laughs> it looked like a House of Strauss <laughs> meetup. Is what it looked like. One hundred and five percent male. You know, I'm a bit of a you know manosphere oracle, Matt. I don't know if you knew that. You know, mm. I'm a bit of a guru. Yeah. Um, it would have been fun if Andrew Tate was one of the uh, people <laughs> for the, the sexual up. revolution. As the sexual revolution failed, um, I mean, his grift yeah. is entirely based on the sexual revolution, right? He wouldn't be able to do it if he couldn't pick up women. I mean, that would be very difficult for him to demonstrate proof of concept. I think if he didn't have a way, he was trying to just pick up like Puritan nuns and shit like that, trying to as opposed to Romanian them. prostitutes. I, look, I don't, I don't know. Um, mm. Where was I in this whole thought process? I'm trying to remember. Maybe I should introduce some topics. I just yeah, want to give get into it, man. Because you rundown. Yeah. You know. Well, okay. We should. We could start with um. This, in theory, that scene is the center point. If this was a midnight in Paris of right now, you could say that's a theoretical scene. For these are the intellectuals of this era. But you mostly, uh, and I quote from our private conversations, view them, and I believe me by extension, <laughs> as losers. Whoa, is this whoa, correct? Whoa. Yes. Well, yeah. you're not going to give in the rest of that context, are you? Other than <laughs> me saying that because I needed to take Ethan down a peg because he was claiming to be one of the top 20 writers of his generation. <laughs> 
Uh, so I have no idea what you're talking about. It's definitely top 10, but continue. <laughs> so you got to understand it. You know, when your friend says something like that, you need to pull out the big guns and take them down a peg. Otherwise, like you're fucked. Like you're all fucked. He's fucked. He's going to die. My chest, chili oil <laughs> dribbling down my lip. Uh, it was, is a snapshot of 2023, a debate between uh, a bunch of Grimes and some podcasters about if the sexual revolution has failed. Something tells me that, I don't know, I does feel like, and I, you know, even looking at the free press website right now, they have like an edit, like an opinion column about like, it's true. You can be addicted to weed. I was when I was 12. Like, it feels like this like reactionary, that's what you call it, right? That like being edgy is like the new way to be edgy is to like bring up topics that kind of we stopped talking about 20 years ago because we pretty much got sick of talking about them well or to say that your grandmother was right Uh, i think that's the louise perry was saying your grandmother's right that's what she was saying um Mm. and that now is very counterculture uh because the boomers i think gestated that sort of cultural meme of the youth is an incipient form of correctness and the youth are just always going to be right and the old are out of touch and and um that's that's kind of been set as a pattern so yeah you can be counterculture by being traditional and i mean look i didn't read the weed article but hey i think there should be a conversation about weed i think we do view it oddly in our culture as it's good, but the other drug is bad and it's probably a little bit more complicated. And, you know, you could stand to have uh, moderation when it comes to using it. I'm not talking about the Royal U. I'm just talking specifically about Matt right now. <laughs> yeah, right, um, yeah. Buddy, I'm high <laughs> as hell right now. And I do not know what the fuck you're talking about, buddy. <laughs> no, I don't know. What, I don't want to talk about weed. I don't fucking want to. Like, you know no. what? I'm just like saying like, whatever. I fucking... You Shit, just want to look down your nose. You want to look down your nose, but you can't find me an, an alternate salon, Matt. You can't find me a, another watering Ethan, hole. Ethan, I'm at it every lights. day. Uh, the, the picket lines in front of <laughs> Warner Brothers Studio, that's the salon of today. The, the uh, best yes. writers are out of work, screaming at the men in power, demanding to take back what's theirs, fighting for the value of what they create. That is well, here, <laughs> here's the issue. And I, I'm wary of going down this road of talking the about you road. as a comedy writer and the comedy and the mm. writer strike because, mm. you know, I, I do focus groups at House of Strauss Industries mm. and um, they don't they don't like it. I mean, I have a lot of my readers and listeners. They're lunch pail guys, Matt. They're mm. working in the coal mines. Mm-hmm. They're logging those 16 tons. Yeah. I don't want I don't think they want to hear from some namby pamby writers about streaming or any of that for their woke shows. They don't they don't want to hear it. They don't like it, Matt. This they, is what's they, crazy. They but these it. are people who like television shows. They like watching good television shows. In fact, the biggest complaint is that there's not enough good television shows. And the truth is all we're trying to do is make it so that we can make you guys the best television shows. We're not trying to make the wokest ones. We're not trying to make the most like condescending ones. We're trying to make fucking good ass shit. And these motherfuckers mm. are not letting us have the things we need to do that. And that's what we're striking about. It's a weird strike that way where you're almost demanding that they patch up the industry and fix the industry. That's overall. Yes. Not, it's that is not correct. just over money and money. No. It's uh, 
business people, please like f- fix this somehow. <laughs> Literally, the, the strike is that like we are like, why did you guys destroy this business and you need to fix it? Otherwise, you can, we can't we won't we won't be complicit in doing in devaluing the stuff that we're making like you guys seem to be happy to do. And so we're mm. trying to create a backstop that forces them to do the things that they need to do, which is figure out how to make money in this new era because they, you know, the, whatever the line that, you know, every, from Fran Drescher on down, everybody's saying is they changed the business model <laughs> and now they want us to pay for it. I just like that. That was without irony. I mean, she, she gave that very passionate speech. Yeah. Uh, about the strike, but there is something funny. The line Fran Drescher, because it sounds like you are quoting an 18th century intellectual. Um, <laughs> in the salon. No, it's crazy. I didn't, look, I didn't, we, none of us expected Fran to be fucking like crazy at that and do it. Wow. But. <laughs> I can't believe I'm talking to Fran Drescher. Wow. <laughs> I like still Midnight, Midnight in Paris. Yeah, I, I like I like Midnight in well, Paris. Wait, wait, come well, on. Okay. This is not even why I'm here. Do you want to like? We can get into this stuff. And and really, I do want. To, I think there is a place deeper in this pod where we I can actually explain to you the thing that I don't think anybody really understands about the writer's strike. But we're mm. here to talk about you're being throttled on. Twitter. I'm being throttled. So my hard. friend Ethan is being throttled, and I need to help I'm, him. I kind of like it. I mean, I keep coming back for it. No, I. <laughs> Well, this is the convergence right here, Matt. So Mm -hmm. you, as some people might not know, went viral with an interview called How Facebook is Killing Comedy. It was in the aftermath of you worked at Funny or Die. The dissolution of Funny or Die had you speaking openly and eventually to media outlets about it, it seemed novel to a lot of people at the time who didn't totally understand what was going on, but about how Facebook had become this walled garden that had eaten a lot of the internet. And in so doing, um, this had a destructive impact on a lot of the burgeoning comedy scene and, and, and videos and the ability to monetize comedy. And there, there was just so much there. And now there's this convergence, Matt, where you're looking at me and you're going, ah, you don't like how it is, huh? Like, Mr. You think you're some sort of Randy and superhero here with your own company and your own website. Now Elon Musk is running Twitter and outside links are not prioritized. So it's exceedingly difficult to go viral on Twitter. And... It's not it's not so easy, eh? That's what I detect from you. Well, well I just well, I like read so. your piece and you're like, why is nobody talking about the impact that link throttling is having on media? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah no, uh, nobody other than your best friend who's been like, like, basically every time we pod, we talk about this. And I'm like, how yeah. much does this motherfucker not listen to me? I can't tell. Well, I, but, OK, <laughs> OK, maybe it's why is Matt the only one? I mean, it's shocking to me. I try to be Zen about it. I like certain aspects of Twitter now uh, versus the past. I don't try to see it through the prism of just what's good for me and my business, but it's bizarre because I would assume that everybody else would be seeing it through that prism. And it's so strange to me that these major media outlets, they're very much focused on whether Elon is targeting them because he hates them. They are seemingly ignoring just this general thing that's happening and the massive implications of nobody really going viral with an article on Twitter, which was a huge part of what Twitter was, that the article of the day um, is popping there and it becomes a form of common culture. I am open to all arguments that this is okay or it's more positive than negative, that Twitter 
has become a walled garden in this way. I'm open to any of the arguments. It's just so strange to me, Matt, that the media, which is obsessed with media, just seems to be ignoring this. I mean, to be honest, dude, this is how I felt, too. I felt fucking crazy during this time where even when I would talk to people or whatever about this, the stuff that would get traction about Facebook was, you know, the Trump stuff or the like Cambridge Analytica stuff. Like those were the things that like broke through into the mainstream, whereas I'm like, that's like that's such a symptom and such a smaller part of this that's around the edges that won't get you to really understand the core structural issue that is ruining all of this. I mean, it's the thing that I keep trying to kind of talk to you. It's like the, the metaphor is like, you know, you're on a boat. Culture is a boat. You're on a cruise line, uh, uh, right? And all the, everybody in culture is inside of this big cruise line. Who's directing the ship? Is it the captain? Is Jews. it the captain? Is it like the person and the people? What's the, is it the Jews? <laughs> is it the captain of the ship who's deciding where the ship is going, where the culture ship is headed, the people, the like, you know, the stars, the big f- people of the day? Or is it none of that? Are we like screaming at the captain saying the ship is getting too woke or the ship is getting too like Nazi or whatever when it doesn't matter? It's the current. We're just mm. drifting with the current. It doesn't matter where any human being does anything. What's happened is that the current itself is being directed by these much larger forces underneath all of this. And that's dictating where the boat is going. And so to me, like that is what's crazy is like, we need to be looking down. It's we're yelling at each other on the boat, but it's fucking the current. It doesn't matter where the, it doesn't matter where the captain turns or not. The iceberg is coming for us because that's Mm. where Elon has directed this or in the past, that's where Zuckerberg had directed this. Yeah. I'm not, so apocalyptic about it. I don't like it as a business person, um, but I don't know if we were getting a whole lot out of how it was before. It just feels like these walled gardens are are less lively. That it's it's more of a dead space, and I can't predict what comes next. So I'm I'm I trying can. not to be I a, know. a doomsday. I are- what was I'll tell you what's <laughs> interesting to me though, Matt. And this is our convergence right here. When you had your viral interview. Uh, why Combinator uh, talked about it and the, the hacker news, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. The hacker news where techie people discuss these things, and this has happened with my this article will not go viral piece on my site, and it was also put up there. This is as viral as I can get is being talked about on a message board right now. Um, and Bless the they were. Board. Yes, yes. And uh, they were, you know, discussing it and I which I was actually happy for because I don't have um, a technical understanding of exactly what's happening behind the scenes. I can clearly see that the links are being throttled. I can clearly see that people go, well, excite your sources. What's your evidence? And I just go, I, you know, I, I know what's happening. And I was a little worried putting it out there for that reason. But then there wasn't any pushback. Everybody can actually see dude, it. Well, when I did uh, it, dude, everyone was like, dude, are you being throttled or are you, are you are you guys just not as funny anymore? And it's like, yeah. oh, my God, dude, I fucking <laughs> that's, been doing that's this exactly years, what I'm saying. It. it, it it's interesting. There are some people uh, criticizing me mostly for writing 1500 words. That's another aspect of where the culture has gone. But they were accepting the premise with you. They were dumping all over you in 2018, being very these techies were being very condescending about it. 
Um, and even though, yes, the comedy industry did get destroyed. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, that did happen. it fucking happened, man. And then the <laughs> truth is, I'm just watching this same fucking thing happen to cable. That's to me what the strike is about. Ooh, I'm sitting there on the lines, like the same feeling I had about the execs for these websites, which, you know, whatever, these are execs for websites in 2000. We were supposed to be the disruptors that were like disrupting all of entertainment, but we got wiped out. And now I'm watching the like feckless like executives at the same at these giant fucking entertainment companies just kind of give up also to these same forces, mm. to this same current that's just like eroding away the very foundation of all high quality content. Yeah. Well, we can get into the chart. We've too many topics, Matt. Too many topics of interest. topics. We can talk about the death of cable. We can talk about charter spectrum. Um, I just find this convergence to be so interesting. I like you were you were being condescended to back in 2018. You might not have known this, but you were young back in 2018. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Somebody said, I think as a young person, he doesn't realize how it was a cultural anomaly that small time content producers could make money through independent production of mass media. Historically, from the development of mass uh, mass media as an actual business category, yada, 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 yada. But of course, the problem is there's no Johnny Carson's couch either. You know, there's no big time burgeoning. Yeah, now you've made it, back. kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's just there's there's almost nothing. There's You can have a Netflix comedy special um, or have made Barbie, which is the biggest hit in so many years in his comedy. But they don't they don't even make comedies anymore, really. And there's there's nothing the yeah. entire uh, it's the end of the Lorax. It's all been stripped away. Yeah, it's just the biggest things and then nothing, which is just not a sustainable way to run a society. So let me tell you a story, Ethan, because I think and I think mm. I've told you this story before, but I'm going to tell you it now because I think you can really feel it now. You know, you know how mm. it felt now that like you are going through the throttling, which is the story of how I figured all this out. And oh. And the thing is, is like it, it I, what's interesting to me is I do think Zuckerberg was much more methodical and surgical about it. Whereas Musk, I truly think he doesn't really know what he's just like does shit because he think he thinks of it and like it felt good in the moment. And I think throttling Substack just like felt good to him at the time. Throttling the New York Times felt good to him at the time. I don't think he has and he kind of has a semblance of this same strategy. But I think mm. Mark Zuckerberg, I think Mark like knew what he was doing. So yeah. how I knew was because because I got flown out for like a big all hands at funny or die or whatever, where they were like, we were basically to like, you know, we were having like our yearly party or something like that. We went to like Venice beach, but before that they showed us this big slideshow about how the website and the company were doing and like what our plan was going forward. What, what, what year is this? This is 2016, 2015. Right, I'm going to try, I'm gonna try to find the sign that's playing in the background. Yeah, okay, this cool, scene yeah. is being told you know, to it might've been, yeah, 2015, 2014, maybe it was when I first saw this. It was whenever, uh, yeah, it was when that video came out that you reminded me of the man, New York, the man walking through New York City uh, video. Oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. 11 hours of walking through New York City as a man. Iggy which Azalea's like, fancy. Iggy Azalea's fancy yeah, is playing right, in the perfect. background. So imagine fancy is playing. So, and I remarked because I had made that video that was like a huge hit for our New York office, which was like the newer office. It had gotten like tens of millions of views. It was like featured on like Good Morning America or whatever. And we had like kind of ripped that out pretty quick. It did pretty well. This is a parody of this 11 hours of walk of a woman walking through New York City getting catcalled. And we did one like a man and everybody like loved the man and gave him high fives and hot dogs and shit. And so we, 
it was great and it did super well and i remember they so they showed us this graph of like traffic on at funny or die to the to the website and it was kind of what you would imagine for a website which is that like it was kind of you know like on average there's like ups and downs every week you know some weeks are down some are up but on average it's kind of a linear trend but then there'll be big hits big spikes right and then what sort of happens is you get like a between two ferns would come out or something like that mm-hmm. there would be a massive spike in traffic and then from that massive spike in traffic, how this works is like, oh, great, that like got a bunch of people to remember Funnier Die exists or think about us. So then the week after and for a few weeks and maybe even months after our like baseline level of traffic would be higher than it was before the hit, because now, you know, we're in the zeitgeist. More people are thinking about us. Right. Like, you know, when you would have a big hit and you get more subscribers. Right. And like, perfect, like a few more subscribers, whatever. And maybe there's churn. But still, you need the big hits in order to attract people. That was like the whole thing. And I remember looking at this graph and being really proud because my video that I'd made with my team had as big a spike as one of those like between two fern videos that had come out. But I noticed Mm. that this thing was happening with mine and the more recent ferns video, which was after that big spike, rather than the traffic going down to a higher average level, which you would expect, it went to a lower level. Mm. That the big hit that we had actually directly led to less average traffic coming to our site. Which is counterintuitive. I'm, I'm picturing the Who Shot JR Simpsons parody of Who Shot Mr. Burns, where Springfield Elementary is about to let loose with their oil strike and it's all been siphoned off to Monty Burns. That's what I'm picturing in my mind right now. It's just being taken away. And I'm seeing, yes, and I'm just like seeing what happened to our traffic and nobody there. It has noticed this. It's like small enough that I don't know, like whatever, like it, it just, I don't know. I immediately afterwards was like, Hey, did you guys see that graph? I was like talking to everyone was like, I don't know, whatever. It's the traffic. Like it, I, it was like, mm. I, but I was like, it seemed to me like, yeah, I had like seen the smoking gun. I was like, what the fuck is going on? It feels like there's like a ratchet system here where yeah. if you have a big hit, Facebook will ratchet you to a lower level of baseline engagement. And it was like, well, why would they do that? And the reason is because they were priming the pump for the product that they were going to announce or the the way that they were going to start running Facebook, which was pay to play, which was that Mm. in order for you to get reach, to get back to your baseline, the thing you need to drive advert viewers for to drive people to your website to, you know, for advertising revenue to get back there, you were going to have to start paying Facebook to send your links out to people. So the point of the link suppression there and specifically links to video versus suppression there was to prime us for two things. One for paying for that reach. And then also to prime us because they were going to start making us post videos natively on Facebook. So they didn't, they wanted to suppress video links because they were going to introduce videos on Facebook. And when they did that, they wanted you to see, you get way more views if you post natively. And then they would tell you, we'll see it's because people don't like clicking through links to your website. They like just looking at them on the website. But, and this is the thing that nobody talks about during this whole pivot to video thing. Everybody talks about how those, their, their views were inflated and fake, but nobody talks about it that in the year leading up to that, they were, were suppressing links in general to make you hungry for the product that they were giving. So what this is, what I'm saying to you is that if Musk was a, a savvy operator, what he's doing is priming the pump for you to take out your credit card and start paying him for reach, which you can do already on Twitter. It's just clunky, right? Promoted 
tweets, but I think he'll probably yeah. come up with a way so that it doesn't say promoted so that it oh. just kind of like, you know, goes back to how it was before for you. I would pay for it tomorrow. I have no sure. principles on this. I mean, it, it justifies the expense. I, my, my business is still growing, but I can only hit singles and doubles and I would like to hit a home run every now and again. So, you know, I'm not negotiating with Musk right now. I'd be doing a terrible job negotiating, explaining all this. But yeah, write it off on the taxes. It's a business expense. But for now, um, it's uh, it's it's just suboptimal. I don't like it also as a consumer. It's hard to talk about because people are going to think that it's just said out of utter self-interest. But I'm an article reader. I do like seeing the article of the day people are talking about. And I came to this less through what's going on with my site and more just where have all the articles gone? Like that kind of, well, that kind well, of so then the, what Musk would say was like, well, he increased your, the character limit. Why aren't you posting your whole articles directly onto Twitter? Is I'm, I, I'm psychologically healthy. Like I don't <laughs> feel the need to post a big screen. But that's what he wants you like to do, right? Fucking, stalker assassin like, what, what is no not a screenshot just post the text why aren't you just making your why are you even on Substack? why don't you just post long threads with your okay with all of your articles and then take elon, elon. musk up on his like profit share revenue me, share me, program with elon, advertisers elon, elon baby elon <laughs> here's the here's the issue here's the problem um i might be tempted as I'm seeing these uh, Elon bucks get thrown around uh, at people who are tweeting and getting engagement, um, you know, it's an interesting model. It's an interesting idea that if I tweet more and I put my thoughts out there and I get attention, I, I will be paid for it. The, the issue, though, is for all your brilliance and the rockets and the Tesla and everything else, you have not shown yourself to be entirely predictable. You know, I don't necessarily feel as though once I start engaging in this as my new business model and what I do, that you won't change your mind tomorrow and just get distracted by something else. So it's difficult for me to change my entire operation, which is profitable, of writing on uh, the website that is Substack and start doing it on Twitter when you're going to just do something crazy tomorrow or focus on Mars again or now make the price of engagement a cent per tweet. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, so well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you that. don't. I'm sorry you don't trust me. But <laughs> this is how we're going to be doing things. And if you mm -hmm. want to be on Twitter, then I think you should play ball. Otherwise, you know, why are you even posting at all? You know, why are you Boy. even my problem? And here's the problem. I'm the guy who's trying to eat the pizza without putting in for the pizza. All I use Twitter for is putting my links out there. I don't use Twitter in the way somebody running Twitter would want me to use Twitter. Mm -hmm. I am completely just using it as a link port. Um, I would say just because I hate it so much. I mean, I'm not trying to be sneaky about it. If I liked it, I would use it. I hate it. I don't blame Musk for that. I think something just happened where once we were all in this panopticon of observing each other, it became less enjoyable to put thoughts out there uh, to the world. And I enjoy reaching my own customers. And I think my own customers just have better conversations because there's a level of curation. Um, but yeah, from the perspective of Musk, you sound like a I gatekeeper am, to me, Ethan, you sound like a gatekeeper yes. and that's not what our free internet is about. This is the public square, Ethan. What no. don't you understand about that? That's what X is. 
It's the public mm. square where everyone should come and debate. And if you don't think your ideas are good enough to survive on the public square, mm. then I guess you should run back to your little email list. <laughs> My little email list that uh, now gets no, me I, way more views than anything I put on Twitter. This, but uh, <laughs> right, like, like every, like, I mean, like, right, like that's the thing. It's like. So then you're just fucking again, once again, you're just beholden to some fucking rich guy who wants to do the, who wants the current to go some way, whether or not that actually is beneficial for the, his customers, for even people there. Like, it's just some idea he had that he's poorly implementing. And that's what's so okay. fucking frustrating. This might be too deep media for people, but I do they love it. Going to the event on Wednesday, seeing it, seeing it go down. It's a very sub stacky. It was a very Substacky space, and the uh, you know the leaders of Substack were there, and I was thinking as a cultural force who have a lot of overlap and a lot of alignment, um, the breakup or the fissure between Musk and X and Substack, I do think is very consequential. I think that's another media story that is underplayed, and. Maybe it's not discussed honestly because all these media outlets are competing. So it's not like uh, the New York Times is going to talk about how consequential this alignment or this bond might be. But that, that Musk immediately went after Substack. He viewed their creation of notes as a threat. And they are divided, I think, gives people in those spaces who have some ideological overlap less cultural power than if they were united. Yeah, I think that's absolutely parts. true. I mean, that's how you guys built up, right? That's you built your following on Twitter. And then thank God you were able to get your Substack going before it all kind of got cut off. And yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, it seemed to me like Elon Musk was ideologically aligned with Barry Weiss with like, you know, whatever with Substack people even, you know, but then he, it, it, you know, then he wanted to put it all on his thing. He wanted to route the whole fucking internet through his website. That's what these guys always fucking want to do. And yeah, they it's not good for yeah, sure. It's maybe not they, even good for him win. ideologically. They want to win the internet. They want the the monopoly over the internet. Right. I mean, that is a great monopoly. If you had the monopoly over the internet, I mean, hey, I mean, they they might try to antitrust you, but if any all anybody read on the internet was that everything you were doing was on the up and up, then you know. Well, but this <laughs> is what the big is, so then Zuckerberg, <laughs> while he was doing this, was like running for president. Like he was doing his like listening tour of America because he thought everyone fucking loved him because he was routing the whole internet through his site and everybody was loving it. And like that's what he thought he was doing too. Like we've already run this experiment. Like Zuckerberg did this and it didn't work. It didn't come out well, because then the only thing that's going to do well on Twitter are the things that will do well on Twitter, which you point out in your article, too. And there's not going to be the kind of shit that you want to write. And you're not going to be able to be a professional in the way that you want to be, because these independent modes of existing are being destroyed in order to, like, throw everybody into the meat grinder. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's probably... I mean, we could wrap up that particular part of the conversation. <laughs> You're a little bit more of a doomsayer than I am. Um, I just saw I this happen, this man. It's not like you. Elon will charge you for reach and then you'll do it. But then it won't fucking matter because he's going to insist that you post all your shit onto Twitter. And then maybe even you'll try that. And it's just all going to fucking fall away, man. And like, you're yeah. just, a, this is the problem. What happened with me making videos. These were like ambitious fucking videos that like the onion news network used to make, you know, people are constantly asking me, how come you guys don't make sex house anymore? How come you guys don't make the onion? news? How come these videos don't exist anymore? How come the writers during the writer strike right now aren't making web series like they did the first yeah. time around? It's because there's no fucking point. Yeah, and like, totally. you're just a sole proprietor. It's cheap and easy for you to do this kind of stuff. And if even you can't do it, then like, mm -hmm. what the fuck is this thing for? Yeah. Sex house. 
is glorious, glorious take on reality <laughs> TV, and people should check that out on YouTube. In theory, YouTube is the best place to monetize, but this goes back to the quirks of mediums. Uh, we had a guest on here, Grant Cohen, who covers the San Francisco 49ers, and he's often in controversies, uh, and uh, he's, uh, but he's, he's an interesting guy, and he's got a following. It's not a massive following. He, he covers a football team um, in this kind of grassroots way, and he makes good money. And one of my, you know, one of my customers was saying, I don't understand how he makes good money. These videos are only getting 10K views or whatnot. And I say, on draft day, he posted 24 times in that 24 hours. If you do it that way as a volume game, it can really start adding up, even if advertisement is more about the scale and all that. But if you're making comedy with production value and everything else, I mean, yeah, you're not obviously going to be able to do something like that. Post 24 times a day. No, (laughs) you're not going to be able to. And I mean, you know, and there's guys, there's, there's folks who like, you know, have, you know, somewhat successful channels. Uh, This guy, Joel Haver, who I like to watch his stuff every once in a while. My friend, John Boswell, who I, who worked on high science, who made all of our cool graphics has an amazing YouTube channel called Melody Sheep. And he makes super high quality stuff. He's kind of a one man band, which allows it to be happening. Like there are, there are definitely things that can survive on YouTube, but even still you don't get that same like feeling of big cultural impact from from within there and you don't make the same amount of money that you can or you would have been able to on making a movie or making tv like these were lucrative ways to get high quality media out that's why we tried yeah youtube's weird what you're saying because it does feel very walled even if it's just huge i Mm -hmm. was walking up the street my neighborhood and somebody had a big tv in their living room with no curtains, so you could just see what's on the TV. And I saw they were watching a, a YouTube food blogger or vlogger that I recognized. And it was like seeing your teacher outside of class. It was just, <laughs> no, no, what? that's my, that's my, whoa. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it, it, it's not like if this was the 1990s and I was walking by a house and they had The Simpsons on, I would go, but you watch that, you know, you also, yeah, it's like I if mean, they'd be watching a porn video that you have watched, like, yes, you know, like, we're like all, you <laughs> all assume nobody has seen any of the porn videos I've seen before. You also braved the shame of going behind the dangling curtain and right, yeah, you the all, awkward you interaction just, yeah no i youtube has that i mean and it's and it's the most mature one i mean youtube is its own fucking topic and i i guess it's kind of gotten better but it still just isn't youtube's like know. democracy it's the uh, the least bad of yeah. uh, <laughs> these of these options for that kind of content and there's a lot of stuff that does well there are people who do make money food does especially well on youtube for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, it doesn't feel it, it's like Mr. Beast is either the most famous man on earth or a fairly niche figure. Yeah. And he's kind of both. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Um, okay. So let's go to the topic list. Uh, Charter Disney, a, a right. major muse cable. for this website. Yeah. The cable has been saved. albeit perhaps briefly. <laughs> uh, there was a fight. As some of you might know, between the second biggest cable provider, Charter, and Disney, because Disney kept wanting to uh, upcharge, and Charter said, no, uh, we're not going to pay it. 
unless you take your Hulu, your Disney Plus, and you rebundle the streaming services that were supposed to be the gateway away from cable. You need to put it back in the cable bundle. And it looks like most assessments are that Disney effectively caved. Mm. And uh, we are now witnesses to Matt. We are witnesses to the great rebundling, perhaps. What is yeah, your I don't take? know. I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, like, I just want to let, let, you know, we've talking, talking people, whatever. Let's get to the most interesting thing about this, which is what the fuck yeah. does this look like in the future? Because cable is dead, right? streaming networks are don't, don't other than Netflix and it's arguable in some ways aren't profitable. Like what does ESPN even look like in, if, in just as a pure without cable, right? Let's jump to the end here. We know cable's not going to survive. I will never mm. get cable. I've never had it other than the like year we lived together for sports. I don't You're excited like, about it. I, yeah, I, I can't <laughs> wait. And there's a fucking cable line that runs to my house that like goes through the my backyard, like like 10 mm. feet above me. And I'm just like desperate to just like cut it down because we don't fucking use it. But it's just there because it was infrastructure or whatever. But like yeah. cables over. Right. Why are we even like just edging for for so much longer before we just fucking come and get it over with? Like, <laughs> let's just fucking end cable. But then what does it look like in the future? that such that we can make enough money, the people who make stuff for these platforms and we can all get enough good high quality content, or is it all just going to fucking get frittered away? Yeah. I'm trying to wonder if there's any sort of necessity for cable, but for the habit that people have of having it. Um, I mean, it seems like there's some sort of benefit to having a bundle. I mean, there are benefits to that, but we're away from the model of channel flipping. People don't channel flip. They specifically click on the thing they want. Netflix yeah. introduces certain things to people, but I don't know if people regularly click on stuff sight unseen and are just caught by it. That's an annoying feature of Netflix's interface, by the way, that they just start playing things at you. Um, I don't. You finish a feature-length yeah. film, and then you have 10 seconds to find the remote before like, it, it fucking turns on another feature-length film. Like, Why would I want to do that? You're like going against the villain from Speed, trying to defuse Jesus a bomb Christ. in your house. 10 seconds I mean, before Mission Impossible plays. No. Like, no, 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 no. Ah, <laughs> with kids, it's especially bad, too, because you don't yeah. necessarily want whatever plays next. Um, yeah, so that's going away. So we're now in this model um, and there's going to be some sort of rebundle of all these streaming services that are fractured. I'm not smart enough to really figure out how it's all going to go. That's why I read Ben Thompson at Stratechery. But it doesn't seem like we're in an optimal place right now. It does seem like it was better back in the day, especially because I like us having cultural commonalities i don't like that you'll bring up a show to me that i should watch and i've literally never heard of it um that seems to happen quite often sure. uh, it's sad to me that comedy central was this force in our lives and uh <laughs> yeah, just like the destinations yeah, yeah exactly dude. This, kid, this dude doesn't know anything uh, i'm like I'm but, fucking, yeah, <laughs> but remember I'm comedy stranger central, things to him and he's like what uh? <laughs> this weirdo wants me to watch 14 year olds okay you know that's the weird part of that that viral interview you did with vulture on how facebook is uh killing comedy when you started talking about age of consent it was something you don't understand the you used to be able you know kids they love web videos that's how you fucking uh, meet your girls 
Oh my God, Matt. So the, that does remind Justin me, that seems like that was Roland. a feature of the old internet where people would talk about that and they don't talk about the catch a predator internet nowadays, but now I'm getting far mm. afield. Now I'm yeah. digressing. Where even was I? Was, um, yeah, was I missed, channel flipping important? Did you like discoverability? Um, mm-hmm. It kind of felt like you knew how to do it. There was an element of mastery where mm-hmm. we were talking about this recently. You knew how to really use the last button. And yeah. you would load something you, up in the last. Yeah. You, yeah. Get, you get what you're watching, but you have something loaded in the last so that when the ad comes on, you jump to your last. Yeah. Yeah. Thus, you know, bypassing what they were trying to do by making it profitable. Um, and yeah, that that's done. You don't have that uh, feeling of being in a Paris cafe and watching life walk by. You can, uh, you can do it. You can book a hotel room and, and do it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's gone. That's just not a feature this is the, of how we the, discover the, things. The, the like trope in movies. I just rewatched. They live the trope in movies that you used to see all the time that you don't is people walking by a television store and stopping and looking at what, at what's on the televisions that are playing mm. in the television store. Like that's how people learn about like independence, you know, like aliens are coming and it's people on the <laughs> sidewalk all staring at like the display TVs oh, and like a fucking dude, Best Buy or whatever. I, I don't want to make us digress too much. I just saw the craziest clip that I'd never seen before um mm-hmm. of regis and kelly on 9 11 have you seen this <laughs> we may have probably at the time Wait, why, why were at this? the time you were watching at the time you were watching yeah. i don't know kelly i don't think this is happening i don't think this well, is... it was like it was like no. that i mean look look we don't want to be glib about 9 11 it's just just incredibly terrible all the caveats and yet there is something darkly comedic about Regis and Kelly trying to do their show as it's happening. I just saw this clip and it's just my favorite part of it is when Regis, when the second plane hits, first of all, he thinks there's a third plane because they show a replay and he gets confused. So that happens. <laughs> there's a goes, third building. And there's a third, and there's a third plane. It's like, <laughs> this guy has to then interject and go like, no, it's like, oh, it's a replay. And he's like, yeah, you don't want to say it. You don't want to say it. You don't want to say it because you were live TV, but, and I gotta say, it seems intentional. <laughs> it's just sort of giving his take Whoa. in the moment as this is happening. And oh my God, I don't have anywhere to pivot to from, from Regis and Kelly discussing 9-11 as it's occurring. Um, other than to say that, we, we were talking have, about channel flipping. We used to have events we shared together. You know, we used to. Have, yeah, that's what we need. We need some. We need a visionary like Osama bin Laden to really bring this nation together around a piece of media. <laughs> Oh, that was a guy who was in his walled garden slash bunker who uh, eventually saw the anyway. He was just trying to get us to look up and away from our phones. But our, our last cult, people say our last culturally shared event was uh, the assassination. Not the assassination. That makes it sound like I'm against it. The, the, the assassination of, a... of Bin Laden. <laughs> yeah, the, assassination. the cold, hard killing. The cold blooded killing of the Osama. The murder. The murder of Bin the Laden. I guess you just. I guess the crime you Obama it did to Osama. <laughs> Uh, no, COVID was like a big shared cultural activity, right? We all, that was something we all, we all made on. bread together. Yeah. Well, Anthony <laughs> pointed out that we had our phone, that now when you watch something and ads come on, you go to your phone, but that's kind of the point. It used to be, yeah. you would watch a second TV show. You would watch two TV shows at once, which was viewership, I guess. I don't know where it was like, it would, yeah. cause then it was like, oh shit, the thing, the other thing on my last is a little better than the thing on my main. 
I'm going to jump over to that. Like, that's how I used to think about pitching TV shows. I would be like, when I would try to come up with shows, I'd be like, okay, what's something where I'm someone scrolling through the channels and you see this and you like have to stop and watch it. Like that was the way I would like come up, like try to come up with shows. Like what's just mm. a, such a crazy un, unavoid thing you need to stop and watch. Uh, and, but now that's like a useless exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm trying to think about this. I'm getting distracted as I'm now thinking. I think the last shared cultural experience was people watching the newsroom episode of the killing of. <laughs> Glad Laden. you're bringing it up because I, all I wanted to talk about was that. <laughs> <laughs> he tells the pilot first that there's a firefighter on board. Sir, I have something to tell you. I have news to share with you, a first responder, before I tell everyone else. Fucking incredible. <laughs> the newsroom, man, it's fucked up that the newsroom doesn't keep going. <laughs> the newsroom uh, love that newsroom. <laughs> I love the boomers. That's going to be our topic we're pivoting to. Mm. I wrote about how our leaders are too old. I have a lot too of conflicting, old. contradictory thoughts on generations. And mm -hmm. here's the take I'm throwing at you. I think old people are generally more correct than young people. I'm just putting that out there. They've got a lot of wisdom. Old people they're more, are more correct than young people. Generally. Generally. But the, but the visionaries okay. and culture shapers have to come from the ranks of the young. The mm. people who will drive things forward will have to be drafted from that generational cohort. I don't think that generational cohort is just more correct about everything. I think that is a meme we've been given by the boomers. I don't think it's necessarily true. I really despise dismissals of any older person who is having an issue with what's going on in the culture, um, including in a way, uh, ironically, you for being dismissed for being young and not understanding uh, the times that we're living in. I like when people's observations are taken on their own merits. I don't like when the response to an old person criticizing something is, oh, old man yells at cloud. Like, no, let's talk about the substance of what's being said here. At the same time, I don't believe that elderly people should be running major institutions that are dealing with massive technological changes. I don't think the CEO of Disney should be 72 years old. I don't think the successor he tapped should have been entering his 60s. I don't think that our politicians should all be uh, at least spiritually pushing 90, if not literally pushing 80. I think this is a problem. So what's well, there's no this is the thing. There's no young captains. There's only current. Right. There's old captains who are like trying to fight, who still believe that they're piloting their ships, you know, in, mm. in, in, in through the ocean. But it's just because they haven't fucking admitted that it's just current. Young people can't even take over the fucking captain of the ship because they've been their boat's been swept away. Like we don't yeah. complain about young when we're complaining about young people there's no young person we actually complain about we're complaining about on mass tiktok we're complaining mm -hmm. about on mass influencers we're not complaining about like i don't know whatever britney spears like kissing a girl or what you know there's no i don't even know who like the young that was our last Turks of culture. cultural moment actually yeah, if was, continue yeah. But I don't know. There's not. We don't. I, <laughs> I wish that we were complaining. Celebrated the killing of Osama bin Laden by kissing Madonna, at least in my memory. As I well, well, who are like the young visionary like executives or creatives or whatever who are pushing culture forward and in doing so, even, you know, making old people like titter in their britches or whatever. Greta. Yeah. Greta. <laughs> Greta. 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 Is it Greta? I haven't Greta seen Thunberg. Barbie. 
Barbie's great. <laughs> she makes people stand. Man, COVID really, you know, kind of uh, diminished uh, diminished Greta. I feel like the new the new fear replaced uh, her fear. But yeah, uh, Greta Greta Gerwig. Um, oh, Greta, you know. <laughs> Greta Thunberg. <laughs> Greta Thunberg. Greta, Greta Gerwig. No, yes, Barbie, and which is great. Barbie. I'm so glad that there are people who keep stepping up and saving movies. And I'm glad it's not just Tom Cruise. I'm glad that Greta, Greta Gerwig made Barbie, which is a fucking bona fide comedy. And truly, it's great. Like, it really is a fantastic, a hilarious, wonderful movie. And that's and wonderful, finally. But she's doing it in the old medium of movies, which makes an argument for that movies should still exist, which I would love to make. But I feel like it's an exception that proves the rule here. I, I don't know. Like, I, I, you still need these old forms of media to move culture forward because you're not going to do it on TikTok or Instagram because the wave, the waves move too quick. You get mm. subsumed too quickly, and you can't even fucking make a, a stand there. You can't live. You can't make a career there longer than a few years if you're lucky. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what to make of it because we were told that comedy movies don't work and they don't scale and they stopped making them. And there used to be these massive hits. I remember Matt, when we were in high school and wedding crashers came out and it was an R movie. So it was this thing that, you know, did you, did you find a way to see it? And everybody talked about it when we were standing <laughs> on that, that wall where we ate lunch, which yeah. I still don't know where that wall was socially. Was it nerds or was it cool people or was it liminal? I don't know. It was, li- it was in the middle. It was the, yeah, it was somewhere, you know, you know yeah, it was it where was, you, if you wanted to be in the middle of the action, but you didn't want to, you didn't have enough clout to be like happy in your own corner or something. Yeah. Yeah. But that's neither here nor, nor yeah. there. That era is over, but all of a sudden Barbie happens and nobody quite knows what lesson to take from it. And you see all these arguments over it that this shows we need to make more movies for women and women are the drivers of culture. And I think Michelle Goldberg was making a connection between the Taylor Swift eras tour and Barbie being these big hits. And other people say, uh, as we're discussing here, that maybe comedy is way more viable and they should make big, interesting comedy movies. But other people say, it's just IP once again. They use right. some IP. That's the only way you get a cultural beachhead. You can't make something new and get enough eyeballs on it. What do you think? Yeah, no, I get it. I think it's exception that proves the rule. I think it's great. But even like a cultural like moment like that, like I don't know if it has tail or something. You know what I mean? Like what? Mm. I don't know. It's not part of a larger thing. It's not part of like grunge sweeping the nation. It's not part of like, you know, the new cyber. What I, I don't know. It, it, whatever like old it kind of like, like cultural it, movements it, were, it didn't, it, it doesn't feel like it's part of anything other than itself. And it it's not, like it, it didn't usher asking, in. Was it was that? asking the question of whether the sexual revolution had failed, Matt. That's what was going <laughs> right, on. It was. That the most relevant question it. of our time. No, I don't know. Like it was big, but bottoms, which I've heard is really funny and great. Isn't, and I think it's, and I actually think it's doing well because it was like a modestly budgeted comedy, but it's not like that's ushered in a swelling of people now going to see comedy or something in theaters. It, it just kind of was this anomaly. I don't know. It just feels like nothing has depth. It's all spikes and no, and it's all spikes and valleys. And there's no like, you know, drumbeat of like, just like culture and waves that we can actually like, you know, you can grab hold on to long enough to actually make something. Instead, it's just rushing fucking waters. Keep going back to my rushing waters current fucking. I'm resisting one of these anchoring 
arguments we get into or topics we get into when it comes to all of this because the old woke or broke you know the old is it you know is it ideology or economics i was i was hoping you might take the bait when i talked about how some people out there might be sick of you you're right you write or lot you know and you're you're whining well here okay i teased it before do you want to actually can i can i actually like explain what the writer strike is about because truly nobody actually really talks about no No, fucking fuck you Uh, because there's a very specific thing that it's actually about that I don't think you people have all of Hollywood speaking for you, Matt. This is not yeah, the place for this. this. No, well, I think the it, thing people do don't understand. Sentence. We need one sentence. One sentence. One the sentence. thing that people don't understand: the difference between us and like you know coal miners or whatever. And this is writers <laughs> in particular, is because we're talking about our intellectual property and the value of our own intellectual property. And what people don't understand is that the whole bargain that writers have made with these studios is that we give them our intellectual property. We just hand Mm -hmm. it over to them. Whereas with like novels or whatever, you retain your IP rights. And that is where you can derive all your value by licensing that, by letting people do things with that. That's where the value is. But implicit in how this works is that when you make a TV show or a movie, you are giving the intellectual property rights and ownership to one of these companies. And you do that. We do that because we want health insurance and pension. Like that's the actual trade-off is that in order to get health insurance and pension, we give them the intellectual property so that the union can provide those things for us. I actually, it, it's the, it's a question I've, I've wondered, would the guild survive universal health care? Would any union survive universal health care in, in America? Because it's so dependent on that. You talk to old union guys. Julie's uncle was like a, 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 a you know, a true ass fucking Pennsylvania union dude. And he doesn't want universal health care because he spent his fucking career. Fucking He's a true ass fucking <laughs> Pennsylvania union dude. These guys, when they're gay in a way that you wouldn't fucking believe, man. They're old school tough. gay. They're old, old hard gay. You know, yeah. they're fucking like, we got nobody else but each other in these fucking trenches, gay. I gotta get <laughs> these mines. because I'm straight as hell. The straightest uh, thing you yes. can do is come whenever you get the chance, no matter who it's with. <laughs> no, no, this dude's, he's, he, whatever, he's a married man uh, to, to a woman, and I don't, you know, and I'm sure he also wouldn't find, think there's anything wrong with being gay, but he's not. Uh, but <laughs> you can still point is, technically, you can still technically still be an ass fucking union dude, you know, yeah, that's true, right. yeah, that's the whole, uh, the whole he goes that's, into is the, it, I only go into the, the coal sexual mines. revolution has succeeded, you know, it has, uh, but he doesn't <laughs> that was like actually the idea literally that, brought up in the debate. That's why I'm thinking about it is, is that, having uh, sex. Well, just that um, one of the commentators was saying that it it is resulted in women uh, from having been shamed for uh, being lusty. They're, they're shamed for being prudes. And, you know, are they having more enjoyable sex these days? I don't know. It seems like what with porn, a lot of young women are getting pressured into, uh, you know, anal sex uh i'm not paywalling this this is just going to be out there this is just gonna be out there for people <laughs> should we really... just talk about anal sex anal sex yeah. good or bad has anal sex failed has the anal sex that would be great failed? for for a debate in the oxford style or cambridge style where they <laughs> do the vote yes or where do you stand yes on no? sodomy sir the public yes. needs to know yes uh, or no the sodomites um, are in control of our culture uh, the mm. so anyways but these fucking dudes they spent their whole fucking union careers 
fighting for really good health care. And so they don't want to just have universe, you know, they don't want the government to just like get it all to, to take the credit for giving people health care. So in the union, so we want in the writers guild, we want health and pension and we get that in exchange for giving over our intellectual property. So what we're really striking about is that we are essentially saying right now that we do not think that the value of the intellectual property that we've handed over to them, we don't think that it's being properly valued. And we don't think that they are extracting the amount of value from the intellectual property that we've given them. We don't think they're doing enough with it. They're not extracting the value that we believe it has. And they're trying to say it's not as valuable as you think it is. So they're trying mm. to devalue the intellectual property that we just gave them. And so the only way that we can fight for the value of that intellectual property, of the ideas of Mickey Mouse, of like the fucking Thor, of like the characters that we've come up with, of like, you know, Jurassic Park, whatever, the fucking things that we all like, those things, those monetizable things, we're demanding that the value of those things is retained or, or rises because we've just given it to them. And there's no other way for us to insist that the value of those things go up without withholding the ability to for those things to ah, come into existence. So you're just labor. like Zuckerberg, huh? Turning <laughs> off the spigot. They can feel the pain. Yes. Raise the price. Look, ah. you know it works because that's all that's what Charter just did to fucking right. That's or what Disney and Charter did. They just turned it off. That's the only way <laughs> that they fucking can get anything done. Yeah. It's See a valid tactic, like it. apparently. Or it would have worked if not for that meddling Bill Maher. You guys were about <laughs> to bring the studios to their knees. No, no. Bill Maher, watching some of the anger at him is hilarious to me. I mean, I just, you got to see it. See it from Bill Maher's perspective. Uh, for those who don't know, he's going to be doing a version of his show. Um, all panel. That might, yeah, all panel, which is the thing people really like best about that show. They like watching, they like watching the panelists mix it up. It's one of the few places in American life where you see people with different political opinions maybe get into an unexpected it, isn't argument. Isn't that crazy? It isn't is that crazy. fucking crazy? It's fucking crazy. I, it's it's something I genuinely like watching. I love watching. Pan like, what, what the, how is it the only it's, fucking place where it happens? John, John Stewart was wrong when he confronted the, cost, uh, the Crossfire panelists. Well, like he was wrong. I, well, I miss it. I don't even care if it's contrived. I would like to see an argument. I, I, it's better than everybody just talking in their echo chamber but look so real time on the mm. few places where that happens uh whatever you think and about right it. here on house of strauss whenever and right here on house together. of strauss uh me an alt-right fascist <laughs> matt uh <laughs> communist uh, woke, Pinkerton, the woke, woke npc <laughs> the mr npc <laughs> matt kleinman um <laughs> it's really the Have only place NPCs? It's, all, it's really the only place. <laughs> last fucking union guy. <laughs> you really last fucking union guy. The only uh, place we could see people as different as me and Matt Kleinman. So different, Matt. Can you imagine two people more different? It's, yeah. Than, just, than, than could, Matt and Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> From no, it's literally the so same. Dumb. It's crazy, man. Like, it seems like it's a gimme, right? That's what I thought that we could make, make that the Moshe Cancer show that I worked on. I was like, let's just fucking make yeah. real time. But our jokes are better. <laughs> I mean, it was I enjoyed that show. The problematic with Moshe Kasher. Yeah. And I think you were just on the failure ship of Comedy Central. Comedy Central. There was nothing, no, nothing you could really do about that one. Um, 
But where was I? Yeah, the, the anger at Mar by certain people in the Writers Guild. I just look at it from the Mar perspective of he's an old man. He doesn't have kids. He likes to get his takes off. He likes to do his show. He's not going to wait around for you guys. That's just how it is. It's how yeah, it is. I mean, I get my it. Guess, like the truth is, I don't think anybody, you know, it's like we need to call him a scam, but I don't think anybody fucking cares. <laughs> it's yeah. like do what it you're gonna like, do you're sitting courtside with his ass like of course they're gonna fucking figure it out or whatever i mean i think he just does he needs to get on board with our fucking messaging or whatever the fuck if he's gonna talk publicly and fucking uh, you know besmirch our demands like fuck you for that but like whatever man like if you i get been, it you want to lot crew. have been too mean to him you lost your chance yeah, to lost charm him. bill maher you lost him you know yeah, yeah. And, yeah, forever. I, on the other hand, I'm still it. being nice. I could benefit. I'll go on mm. the scab channel, Matt. Then what will you, what right? will you Jesus do? Christ, if you get on real time, I'm going to be fucking... You, the scab fucking, real time. The oh, scab God real time. We, God, I will do, do it to troll you. I have no... I have no... You know, I, I, I'm not in the guild. Well, hold on. Did that value... Trip. Okay, the, my spiel about value, did that fucking make any sense to you? Did that make any meaning, meaningful... Does that change anything? Or you're like, yeah, whatever. Just union woke man saying the same shit. <laughs> NPC, NPC shit. <laughs> saying the slogan. Did that mean anything value. to you? Did that, did we, that have convince... we have yeah, value. We have value. Me, me no, have it... value. Me have value. <laughs> me have it value. It meant something to me, but I'll be honest that my um my orientation towards your fight is not to take a side in it just because I feel like I don't know all aspects of it and i don't even know what the numbers are there's a whole conversation as i'm sure you're aware that these writers say they want the real viewership numbers but they're not going to like what they see when they find out that nobody's watching them i actually we we're in agreement on that one i think you need to know the numbers in order to have good incentives um and you well, that, yeah that was something we were talking about that i think we also came to agreement on which is that the fact that it was like ratings led to competition between these let networks and then that, that that led to identity creation between them you know nbc having fucking you know all time you know whatever thursday lineup like amazing comedy what was it fucking called jesus christ comedy thursdays what, what was the fucking where seinfeld uh, and friends must see TV. Thank you, Anthony. Must Bless see you. TV. Yes. Must oh, see yeah. TV Thursdays forced CBS to counter program and do something else, which like led, you know, was part of those two networks having different identities, which like I think is really good. I think it means that you, then you start focusing in on your demographic, knowing that there's other players in the space. It led CBS to clone Ted Danson. It was right after Dolly happened and they needed to do something. There was a lot of competition back then, if memory serves. Well, th but that's the thing. They didn't try to make their own fucking Seinfeld or Friends, right? They did something else. I don't remember what that was because I wouldn't fucking, I would never watch fucking like Red State CBS on Thursdays when I'm watching my liberal musty TV on Thursdays. <laughs> was that a was that a chasm? Like I don't even remember. Was it? I don't even. Was it musty was it? TV liberal and then whatever was happening on CBS was conservative? Well, liberal Friends, you know, yeah. their liberal messaging. Um, yeah, I don't. I think CBS became the old person network, is what That's I right. remember. Less of it being what I'm culturally, same thing. yeah, same it's kind of the. It's kind. It's kind of similar. You know, there's there's some overlap there. Okay, well, here's I mean, the we other thing. If 
if there mm. were viewership numbers, I also think it would be an, an, an owner. And this is as a dude who's got a TV show that like fucking I want the network to be pumping out more and promoting yeah. more is it would give them incentive to try to really find audiences for all their shows. Like there's yeah. just all these shows out there that like nobody that they don't promote that just like exist and then fall away for whatever fucking reasons. Right. Whereas before it was like, okay, the show's not working here or like whatever. We need to find the spot for it. We need to give it a shot. We need to do whatever, like treat these things like the items of value that they have and make sure you get the most value out of every little product you make right now. It just, it just feels like everyone's given up. Yeah, it does. I I don't like the direction that the TV show Barry went in. I thought it started out great, but there was something very well observed about your industry in that show where one of the characters becomes a showrunner and so much gets devoted and poured into her show and the launch of it and the award speech. And then it's just it's just taken from the front of the streaming service homepage and then taken off due to an algorithm and then it has disappeared into the ether. And that does seem like there's, it speaks to something in our atomized society that so much of uh, television, what else do you call it? Even if it's not on TV is just kind of, here and then out there in the ether it's just you don't an interface even know how- issue but that's yeah. the thing it's just the interface it has nothing to do with like the show like that's what channel flipping was that was like the interface you know is this a business is this are they too woke are they too you know is like are they these rich woke writers divorced from the culture yeah woke or is it just structural. you fucking can't or yeah or is it just your remote doesn't woke work as well as structural used to? issues Woke oh, because of structural issues. Is we can make that. that yeah, no. I, well, that's there? what I think. I think that everybody's gone crazy in all directions simply because they're trapped in this current. Sure, well, you know you that's make... how I feel. But like, uh, but yeah. So it's just interface. It's all just fucking interfaces. <laughs> well, okay. So it does seem like there's a little bit of life in stand-up comedy right now. Mm. And I used to say that there were no prominent stand-ups outside of the Gen X and older cohort that 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 was sort of a indicative of a stuck culture that the biggest comedians in the world Louis CK Dave Chappelle probably could name a few others um and they hadn't been dislodged by anybody up and coming who is a mainstream name but now it does seem like there are millennial aged comics who kind of rose up during the pandemic kind of in a guerrilla marketing campaign uh, using YouTube. I was at this free press event. The opener was Tim Dillon, um, who I think got a lot bigger on YouTube during the pandemic. Uh, Andrew Scholes is another guy who did similarly and had a big special that he put on his own platform. Um, And uh, Shane Gillis just had a special come out. He was not allowed on SNL. He uh, had his... Uh, Asian comments or what have you came out upon his hire. Very few people had heard of him uh, at the time of his hire, but he has since made all these clips on YouTube and uh, gained a lot of momentum on his podcast. And now he's becoming a real force. What do you make of those two things that there are some millennial comics popping right now? And yes, I think we could say that they are not loved by uh for lack of a better word the woke you know what do you what do you make of this matt 
Well, but there's, you know, Gillis has a Netflix special. Like what, you know, like that's the biggest thing that you could have. Right. So like, yeah. it's, it's a one that I just want to made his put, way. He made his way back. Yes. Right. And Chappelle, you know, just to sort of like distance, like the woke Hollywood or whatever, like they'll put out whatever people will watch to some degree. I, and this is the thing, the credit to stand up. The thing that I'm envious about stand ups is that they have this vast live infrastructure. Like you can make a living as a stand up mm. touring and doing live shows and doing that stuff and doing this other stuff that they're also doing of, you know, running YouTube shows and having podcasts and like hustling and doing all that, like adds to that structure. But if you don't, but like having that structural backbone, uh, like an economy and an industry there, I think really helps like these guys can tour. And, you know, I have friends now, like more like alt comics where all the people I know who are like kind of more sketch and improv, you know, a lot of them, you know, Connor O'Malley, right? Like he's super funny and great. And he's like touring now. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Carmen Christopher, like uh, uh, the super funny, you know, honestly, a very funny improviser and performer in general. He's been working on his stand up stuff and he tours now. Like the, the, the Ikea guy, the TikTok Ikea, Ikea guy is touring. I've noticed. Great. Yes. Oh, the with the with the sound clip or whatever. And he's got yeah, the mustache. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Because touring is a way to fucking make money. And stand up has a really robust infrastructure that there's also like alt venues and stuff like that. And so I think that that helps those kind of keep, you know, that gives you a little bit of that structure and backbone that you can kind of then fill mm. in with these other things. And then, you know, and nothing solidifies fans like go, doing a live, doing a live show, you know, doing yeah. a live appearance. And, and I think, so you put in that work and you do that. And I think you can get to that point. Question is, are like, are any of these people going to be, is Shane Gillis going to get a movie? Is Andrew Schultz going to get a movie? You know, you know, or, and does that even matter anymore? But that used to be the trajectory, right? David Spade would be in movies. <laughs> Now I'm distracted. You know? Going, should there be a House of Strauss live show? Should, should, yes, sure. All male, mm. only male. You should date. You only should fucking debate the sexual you, revolution. But yeah, no, yeah, man. dude. Of course, do a live <laughs> show, dude. People would love it. Didn't you, you used to do with the House of Dings or whatever with the Count the Dings? The you guys of used dings. To, House of Dings. You guys used to do <laughs> dingling with well, well, your yeah, dingling friends. You used to do those our, shows. Yeah, we we were dingling together, and I feel yeah. like I should do it with some other Substackers. Yeah, there should be some sort of maybe a debate in Los Angeles about a um, <laughs> issue of controversy. <laughs> Um, something like that might be the thing, the thing for me to do. Um, I think it would feel awesome for you to do some sort of live event. I mean, this is what a lot of, you know, whatever the verge and like all these fucking code, con like that's what those tech fucking journalists have figured out that they do all these like business kind of events. That's what Sloan was, right? It was like a businessy fucking conference, but I think there's something probably in between that and a show that would be yeah. cool for you to do. I'm just picturing me. Uh, just booking and pouring all of my life savings into booking the Ace Theater and by myself six months <laughs> from now there. debating the same exact topic just yeah. by myself. Why isn't this working? In front of an empty... <laughs> You all came before. Yeah. Everyone talking about me, all worried in the Substack uh, community. What is he? What is he doing? This is so strange. Um, um, he's taking out your penis. <laughs> like what? Right? Woo! Right? <laughs> right? right? Slapping your penis now? <laughs> right? Right? What is right? 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 What does right can't mean? See, listeners can't see me wiggling. That's what Ethan would do. <laughs> wiggling. Right? Right? <laughs> Penis. Oh my god. That's the penis flapping against his thighs to an audience of three people. <laughs> All men. All men. All men. Do a no live women. show. Live shows rock, man. Live shows. I mean, it would be interesting if I did a live show and I said no women allowed. Possibly. <laughs> 
illegal. I haven't really looked at the laws, but there'd be controversy to it. <laughs> that just <laughs> just to gin up controversy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what? If you, did, you can't fire me, you can't me fire you're, me. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want you. So you're not allowed. It's just literally the Get Rid of Slimy Girls Club. This is just literally. Funny. It's pickup no artist girl. stuff, man. You know, you got to yeah. neg them. You got to the neg them. Well, now that I can't go, I've gone and bought a, buy tickets to the fucking. Oh, they put on a. They, they would complain. They would make the obvious joke on Twitter. Well, I didn't want to go anyway. But deep down, we all know that so you, know, you want to. You want to see Ugh, sports and so culture discussed. So yeah, don't, aren't, ladies, aren't you interesting in gambling, sports gambling, and, you know, how omnipresent it is? I mean, isn't this something that you really want discussed in depth? I mean, can't you can't see it. Sorry. Can't happen. Standards. Do you, do you think that women gamble? <laughs> that's So that's the thing. There are touts out there uh in my industry who make picks and some of them are women but irl and i would like to know from the listeners the house of strauss listeners i have never ever met a degenerate female sports gambler and not only have i never met one i've never met anybody who's met one that and by the way not all gender gaps are bad I think that's pretty good. I think that I don't this think that's what one. we need to solve. I don't think that's I want to hear from your commenter. If you, your mom, or, you know, aunt, someone in your life, a woman in your life, ruined their life through gambling and not slots, not slots, yeah, through you know sports betting or political betting or something like horse betting at the horse <laughs> tracks. I'm gonna go to a Vegas gambling industry convention and display my sports gambling apparatus <laughs> that is shaped like a slot machine just so we can get some female sports gambling. It's ins- there, there, there's just no, do- there's no DEI. There's no DEI initiatives happening in gambling and it's fucking, no. a sh- it's, it's, no, it's, a, it's got to have an equal amount of people getting their lives completely ruined. Well, um, Disney's but, getting into gambling. So hopefully children, uh, at least maybe, oh, maybe young yeah. girls, <laughs> we young girls can get into gaming in the way that they've gotten into gaming. I'm picturing uh, the like Bob Iger, like the Richard Attenborough character in Jurassic Park uh, and the Dino DNA video, but it's for sports gambling and he's showing off. He's showing off the soft launch of it with his family and, you know, as the old man bringing people into it. I mean, hey, why not? Nothing matters anymore, Matt. Uh, Nothing's anything. anything. It doesn't matter. Disney's doing gambling. Nobody's offended by it i don't know if it hurts the brand why not push it on children uh it's uh you know i mean morally it's bad sure but i can't sure. see a, i mean it's evil I it's the road to the down to, it's the road to hell but but you know for yeah. what we do well is cable wrap, dead come on what's gonna happen yeah wrap it up what people die cable die well, or not i'll throw this at you right here um because i wanted to title this podcast strike Strike Force Five or whatever. Oh yeah. <laughs> Thank you. The, the Jimmy Fallon thing, Matt. Oh man. Are you, you at liberty Fallon? to have oh, takes? No. Oh no. I know you you never worked for that show. No. You know people. A lot, you of know friends. people. A lot of people. A lot of friends. A lot, a lot of friends who work for that show. Who are all very talented and lovely people. And those shows are are tough. Well, you tell me your take. Tell me your take. And I'll well, tell this you is, this goes back to you writers out there in Hollywood. Uh, Why does everybody hate the right? Like literally, all we do—we've devoted our lives, and it's like hard. It's It's hard. You interrupt and you don't hear our critique. That's why. (laughs) That's number one. 
um this this goes back you guys have a brand issue you know because do, my like, friends we're literally just trying it. to make fun let, cool shit for everybody let, let that me, you let like me, let me get through it so jimmy fallon has this rolling stone expose on mm. how he's a nightmare to work for and many of the writers uh in the interviews are talking about how adversely this has impacted their lives my group chats their take on it was Look at these sensitive little Lord Fauntleroy pussies who can't survive the modern workforce. And I don't really come away from this feeling so much worse about Jimmy. I don't like these. Goddamn <laughs> this makes you writers. like it more. I want to watch a <laughs> fucking but me. I want my late night. I want to know my late night hosts are fucking grinding and whipping their yeah. writers. I want to make sure that they cultivate fear. That's what I want to see. Mm. Late I like picturing <laughs> Jimmy Fallon as Logan Roy when the camera turns off. That's uh, mm-hmm. that, that makes uh, that makes me into it. No, I had a different perspective because I've been talking to you for years about this. So it was strange for me to play the role in this milieu of going, I hear it is actually a nightmare and these people aren't, you know, these people aren't crazy and it is unique. Um, what's your, what's your take? What's your take on behind the scenes of Fallon and how the affable demeanor does not fit the reality? Yeah. I, from what I I mean, like, I think the profile, (laughs) like I told you, I think the I don't think anyone's taking issue with the accuracy of that profile. Uh, as far as what it's like there, I know so a lot of people who have calculations of him working again. Is this is this an issue? I'd Do love we have to, to work worry again. about well, this. I'd, I'd love to work Bill again. Bill Maher, so. line one. Bill, look, <laughs> you know you've got new rules, but what about newer rules? Ooh, ooh, uh, yeah. About nude rules. I, yeah, think I know that, Bill Maher. I know Bill Maher would take the side of Fallon. I know that much. <laughs> he didn't treat him bad enough. Motherfucker. Uh, look, it's a tough. I think what's tough too is that knowing people working at other shows who don't have it quite as bad, you know, mm. where you don't. I think the, what pisses writers off is, especially comedy writers, is knowing when it could be easier. Knowing that, like, you know, it doesn't need to be this hard to make this show. And it's very frustrating when it's harder to make the show than it needs to be. And when you feel like the show could be as good or better if there wasn't just like this one wrinkle to the whole thing, which was, you know, mercurial, mercurial host. I mean, Mm. genuinely, I don't think hosts should, I think hosts should have, you know, term limits. I think it does drive all, like most hosts go crazy after a certain point. It is some kind of like weird, you know, golden handcuffs situation. And I think that, you know, I, I sympathize with that feeling of like, you know, you're interviewing tons of famous people and you're very famous and rich yourself, but you have to go do this thing every day. Every day is the same. Every, you know, it, it, that's the, yeah. the grind of the late night host. And, you know, I think that it gets the, you know, all these, these are human beings who go through ups and downs. And I think that it's just unfortunate that they are dragging these poor, poor, soft little writers through through hell for all that to happen. So I I don't know, you know, it's a question. I I think it's, yeah, I, I, it's a tough show to work for is what I've heard. Yes. And it starts from the top. I think people love the behind the scenes of it. To me, that it was even so discussed was interesting just because it's almost like nobody cares about late night anymore, but they care about so the idea of late night. Nobody watches late night, but people would love to read an expose on Jimmy Fallon. And so that that's I the fun to be sure. Or a dramatization of it. So, I mean, that's the thing I'm trying to think about is like, what would, how do you hire a bunch of fucking comedy writers and make a great ass comedy show, but it's on streaming? 
that is like not you know and like yeah you know but like scripted it's all dramedies and shit like that you know what i mean that's what people watch on streaming but like how do you make a fucking very funny writer room based show like what late night shows or snl or like those kinds of things or like the daily show colbert report at its best like what those shows were when we really fucking love them how do you make that how do you what is the streaming version of that it's happening on YouTube. Um, they have shows that are like those shows, but are on YouTube. They're kind of more. I mean, pan- it is interesting, like the Shoals the, show, like seeing clips. It's like panel yeah. shows, which are big in England. The like panel type shows where there's a bunch of comedians just like chatting and shit like that. But I don't. But even that is not like I don't know. It's not like what Conan I saw. Was, you know? I, I saw a clip of Shane Gillis on uh, Shoals' show where he was talking about how. Unfortunately, he might have discovered that his kink is getting his uh, his boob sucked and he can't, you know, this is this has been wired into him now and um, it makes him come. I couldn't have gotten that from the old cable bundle. That's not something I mean, maybe Letterman would have teased it out of a young comedian and done it, you know. In a kind of coded way. Well, that's just the market um, inefficiency is like doing like edgy or weirder shit that you don't see on television, but you can do it on the internet. But then you can't make the same amount of money that you can't doing it for the internet. So then why are you fucking giving it up? Didn't didn't Madonna flash Letterman? Am I remembering that correctly? But with her back to the audience, wasn't that a big television moment? It's one of those things Barrymore? where you can say those words to me and I can remember it, but I don't know if that means oh, it happened. Strike Breaker Drew Barrymore right there. Oh, a little, okay. little reference right, right, right there. Letterman Here's the one I was watching. Here's the one I was yeah. reading just before we got on is there's like mm. some sort of uh, uh, what's his name? Hassan Minaj. Yes, thing. they say a lot of his uh, his stories. anecdotes. He might his be biographical anecdotes are made up. I haven't re- fully read the story, but that seems a little weird to me. <laughs> it seems a little weird to me. No, you would make up stories. These, it's one of these things where I immediately want to judge, but I also want to reserve the option that I can do that if I want to do that. Yeah, of course. I for don't sure. want to fine for me to do that kind him. of thing. Right. I don't want to dump on him. If I discover a rich vein of made up stories of right. fake like I'm David Sedaris, but I faked it all. Um, mm. That could be good for my Substack, and yeah. I would rely on you to not out me um, mm. and not reveal. How much would you rely on me to the extent that you would pay me? Well, to keep this I, going, I, I, we we don't need to get into a whole charter Disney thing right now. Because um, I'm telling people, I'm telling <laughs> people you didn't steal a single car. I'm telling people that nobody <laughs> fucking. <laughs> nobody broke into your house as a child and put a gun to your head and told you that you needed to convert to Islam. I'm telling I you mean, but that didn't happen. Okay, well, let's wrap up on this. I I was beaten up in Irvine, California by men with guns. Or so we remember. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I mean, he lifted the shirt. I do remember seeing the gun. A man lifted a shirt and someone said that they might have a gun. Yes. Yes. I do remember that. And we were thinking about that in the context of the best minds or the best of minds, uh, the Jonathan Rosen book about his brilliant friend, Michael Lauder, who was just the genius from his youth and his best friend early on in life. And Lauder went on to go to Yale, just like the writer did. And uh, he was going to be a great writer himself, but he got schizophrenia um, and still went to Yale Law School. They were making a movie about his life starring Brad Pitt. And then 
he murdered his pregnant fiance. So that's that book. Uh, it's uh, that's 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 quite a book right there. But what's so central in their friendship, and the book keeps returning to, is a moment as kids when the author Jonathan Rosen was attacked and beaten up, and Michael Lauder just turned tail and ran didn't defend his friend. And that gave us a little bit of a moment, Matt, to think about how, nah, nah, when I was attacked, no, nah, you were, you were right there. You, you, stepped, you, you stepped in, you stepped, I stepped up. in. Yeah. Yeah. We got jumped by some guys when we were trying to walk through the drive through of a Del Taco. We were very uh, high. And, and it was very high. And some guys got out of their car and started for no reason. Well, I think they thought we were approaching their car when we were really just walking through the drive through like a bunch of stoners. They yes. jumped out, and I maybe they were wired or whatever it was. We were nineteen. We were nineteen. You know? Let me find the they, song that was on in the background for this. Yeah, okay, yeah. Look that up. Uh, and they were wailing on Ethan, and I remember I stood there and I thought, "Do I intervene or do I cower?" Mm. And I jumped in. I jumped in, and I I. So I tried to save my friend Ethan. <laughs> I love the idea uh, that American Idiot was playing in the background of this scene. <laughs> yes. American Idiot. And that, like, right when it kicks in, that's me jumping in going, hey, stop beating up my friend. We're walking away. That's what I said, right? Hey, we're walking away. We're walking away. That was the part that was so brilliant. That's the part that was so great because we thought they had guns. Uh, I don't know. They started like the guy. It was a very comic scene. Um, you know, we're kind of rushing through this whole story, but the guy gets out of the car. If you were watching it, you me. would be laughing. But for yeah, us, it, it was the scariest it was thing that funny. ever happened. <laughs> yeah, it's the scariest. It's still the scariest thing that ever happened. Uh, the guy gets, you know, he pulls up. We're blocking his car in the driveway because we're stoned and we're trying to find a way to order from del taco when the del taco is closed but the drive-thru is open right and he pulls up his car the window rolls down and i just kind of shrug i say hi and then as we're walking away the driver gets out of the car he approaches us he looks like he's tweaking I don't know if it's meth or what. He looks just something, something's off. I don't even know how to process it. He goes, you looking at my car, man? You looking at my car? And I, it's a very strange question. Even <laughs> was cute. looking at the car. I was. I, you <laughs> know, was, that's the problem. Like, guilty as charged, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I plead the fifth. I mean, you just said something nice about the car. Fuck. I was like, hey, man, it's a good car. That's a good car right there. <laughs> I like that car. It's a man of taste who gets that car. Yeah. Uh, he he shoves me. This guy shoves me. And at that point I realized, oh, this is like a this is a this is a physical thing. There's like a weird it's weird to be thrown into physical conflict with somebody when you didn't go in having any issue. Because when there's a fight, you've got the adrenaline up. And you've got you, like the anger. You see two dudes at a baseball stadium. Like one shoves the other, then the other shoves back. Like yeah, hey, things are like me, leading like, to that. Yeah, it's for, boiling for me, over. Like I am high, and I I get that first shove, and there's this. Wait, what? It, am I in a? Is this a? Am I am I in a fight? Like what's what's My going on? My first instinct was that they were joking, like they were yeah. pushing you ironically. Like, uh, I literally <laughs> I did have that sense. thought of like, is this one of like, Matt's friends happening? from Haverford, <laughs> from, Haverford, from small liberal arts school in Philadelphia, who's come here just to have a little prank? <laughs> Matt would talk about all his Mexican American friends at Haverford. <laughs> we do math, yeah. 
<laughs> they would, you know, he'd talk about it all the time. And, and so then, and then he swings and he punches me. But thank God, UFC wasn't big back then. No. So people didn't know how to fight. Like even mm-hmm. really aggressive people, unless they were going to a boxing gym and really training, they didn't really know. So like he did karate, this really like I did in like you. elementary school. <laughs> yes, of course. So we did this big wind up and I just kind of ducked it. And then he did a big wind up punch again. And these I big like it. haymaker punches that like yeah. had, you know, just relying on the tiny muscles in your shoulder. They're not because yeah. they're good punches. So it looked really comic. So, but then I think he did one and I go, maybe I should hit back. But then there was the lift of the shirt and I have a gun uh, thing that he did. So it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm just getting punched because the other option is worse. Um, and, but he's doing the haymakers and, I'm ducking it, and it's just—it looks really funny. It, it would look hilarious. <laughs> I from, from truly it didn't. It looked very scary, and I was like, "Oh no!" Yeah. And well, later that, on, when you were like, his punches weren't actually like hurting me that much. It made sense because of the way he yeah. was punching. But well, like in the time, it looks like you're getting because there's also the, a couple other dudes the, at that point. Okay. Well, the funny part that I remember at some point in all of this, you try to get in the middle of it, and you get kicked in the nuts and shoved yes. away. Mm-hmm. But the funniest part, looking back on it. Driver guy is really all about this. This guy got out of the passenger seat and I remember he was wearing a backwards cap and he walked out there and I could tell that he thought this was stupid. Oh, really? I don't think you've ever told me. Here's a memory I have. Here is a memory I have that you might not remember from all the adrenaline. (laughs) Driver guy is doing the haymaker haymakers and punching at me. And it's not connecting, and he gets frustrated, and he looks at passenger seat yeah, guy, that's right? And he's like, and he goes, "Yo, man, hit him!" Yeah, and that's right. I literally see passenger seat guy shrug before punching me. <laughs> <laughs> I literally at barrel, that point, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Oh, this is so dumb." Okay, you in a drive-through? Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll punch this nerdy college kid. Jesus. Okay, fine. Just shut you up. <laughs> and at that point, then I started getting, then I started like getting some uh, some knots on the head. But what was so smart about what you did, you then went back and you put both your hands up with that improv training that you were already getting, <laughs> and you said, "We're walking away." We're walking away, which was perfect because it set a new premise. It deferred to them that, look, you've won the fight. We're turning tail. You've dominated us. But Mm -hmm. I am now setting a new agenda. And they were talking shit and all of that as we as we walked away. But, you know, I was in a circumstance where I was getting my ass kicked and they could have easily said no, Matt. They could have easily said, like, no, no we're just going to keep beating, beating this guy up. I mean, no, we're not. This this isn't over. But you persuaded them. You persuaded them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, as I remember it, yeah, you were getting wailed on. And I remember like in that moment being like, am I a friend? And I was Mm. like, yes. And what friends do is they fucking help. And so I went in, but I didn't, I also knew not to like escalate the violence. (laughs) So I, I, but I, what I have my power, I can yell very loudly. I have a very Mm. loud, you know, I I, I yell. So I did like a very loud, like, Hey, and it did like stop them for a second. And I was like, whoa. And then that's when they kicked me in the nuts and then kept going on you. (laughs) But I think knowing that I had some, like that worked a little bit, the force of that yell, then I like yelled again and maybe kind of tried to separate and did the, we're walking away, walking away. And then we walk away. 
Yeah. Uh, We're not even yeah. mentioning our, our mutual friend who did nothing out of respect no. to him. Yeah. But you know, not everybody. Can yell Nobody knows the, who knows what to do in that circumstance, but I mean, you know, but that really fractured that friendship in that book. As far as I could see the, the pivot point for their friendship in that book is that he didn't stand up for his friend. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. Do you think that that moment for us as was like a solidifying friendship moment for us that like, I think it has to be considered that. Um, certainly top five in, in our friendship. The other one is <laughs> the other one five. is when I apologize to you for eating your hummus. I think that was also very important. That was, was a yeah. I had to be the bigger man. I had to yeah, learn. My, my, my uh, wife's mom made uh, me some homemade hummus and that I took yeah. home to New York and it was a big Tupperware full of it. And then I came home and it was all eaten by Ethan. And he, I think he had taken it to the bar. <laughs> You would like eat it at the bar <laughs> while reading a book or something? Well, you, okay. So you said, I can't believe we're even talking about this in the closeout. You said you can eat as much as you want. And I took that literally. It's Which like how you take Listener, the, you know what I was, you know, it's come like on. how Trump supporters take him seriously, but not literally. Not literally, don't. I yeah. was supposed to take you seriously right there, but not literally. No, 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 no. And no. I got annoyed because I said, you said eat as much as you want. So I ate all <laughs> <laughs> tells you everything you need to know well meanwhile we're making no money we're doing nothing i come home and i'm like well for dinner at least i have that tub of hummus <laughs> it was the nicest thing in our apartment was that tub of hummus <laughs> the only thing i owned was the tub of hummus yeah and i yeah. ate it and i realized it didn't matter it didn't matter there was no appellate court all that mattered is that <laughs> this my is friend Matt, took away from this yeah this is like still the point of contention to ethan i was still wrong i was still irrational <laughs> in this moment of being mad at him it didn't matter if matt was wrong what's important is his emotions and he was didn't angry. matter and I needed if to validate matt, his emotions know, <laughs> all that mattered right. was that matt was was sad about it just like he's sad about the working conditions for writers right now when he's on Just the line. Just like I'm sad about you being throttled on Twitter. I uh, do think it's a big deal. I think yes. it's a big deal, and I think people yeah. should talk about it. Well, but it's just what's fucked. We're going to be fucked. All right, whatever. Fucking... Okay. Podcast. Is it? Well, is it? I'm going to prevail. I'm going to use this as an opportunity. This is a free podcast. Uh, you freeloaders out there, uh, is, is your chance to save me from mm. Elon's throttle to make me ever more viable so I can yeah. uh, purchase hummus for myself and not steal from others, which I clearly revert to you don't want in to a know state of nature. We'll revert to. <laughs> No, it's like oh. fucked, man. Yeah, I don't know. It's like stupid. The internet was so cool. The internet, the internet was beautiful. It was. It I really remember was. a dream that was the internet. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, hopefully the rebundle yields something good. Anyway, this is the outro. Yeah. This is the awkward yeah. outro. The, hey, the I need you to plug my TV show. I'm not allowed to do it because I'm on strike. What? I, yeah. High science. I, do you Thank want? You. I guess you want people to watch it, but you can't tell people to watch it. I can't. I'm not allowed to promote it. I mean, you're no different. You should work for Bill Maher. <laughs> you guys see eye to eye, you two. <laughs> Bill Maher, call me, man. Club random, dude. Let's 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 spark one up, man. Come on, we'll talk about it. We'll get into it, dude.